this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Florida is its own diverse landscape. Boasting millions of acres of public land, the state of Florida ranks number 14 out of 50 states for public land access. Florida's public land encompasses a wide variety of landscapes from the seemingly never-ending swamps of the Everglades to the endless pine and palmetto flats of the Ocala National Forest to the hardwoods of Point Washington Wildlife Management Area. Lest we forget the expansive waterways that make up the salt marshes along the Gulf of Mexico, the deep, mighty waters of the St. John's River, and the secluded steep banks of the Suwannee. Florida has something to offer everyone who seeks to step off the beaten path and into the wilderness. A place where you can hunt animals that you couldn't find anywhere else, from the Osceola turkey to alligators to sandbar deer to the ever-common whitetail. This week, we are joined by Hunter Rotarius of Florida Boy Outfitters to talk about not just hunting in Florida, but how he manages to get it on film for everyone to enjoy. Hunter, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's going on, guys? Uh... So a little bit about myself. I'm born and raised here in Florida. I'm 24. Be 25 this year, obviously. <laughs> but um, I played college baseball. Played baseball my whole life. Um, been hunting since I was probably five, six years old with my dad. Um, nothing too special. Just I like to hunt. I lo- I loved baseball. Now baseball's over for me. So. Hunting gets a lot of my focus, but uh, that's basically it. Just a Lake County boy. I got to ask you, yeah. where'd, where'd you play your ball? Um, I played Division Two ball in West Virginia, at, uh, West Virginia Wesleyan College. Gotcha. Yep. What is it about baseball players and hunting? You notice that, that of all the different sports out there, a lot of the guys that play baseball are hunters and vice versa, where you don't, you don't see that hockey, basketball. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Baseball takes place in the springtime. Majority of your hunting is in the fall. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. That, and I think I think another thing that kind of correlates with the two is baseball is a game of failure. Hunting, you're going <laughs> to fail a lot before yeah. you get, you're successful. That's that's my take on it. I mean. A lot of, lot of chaw and dipping. Dip, dip We're yeah. going to have to edit that out. A lot of chaw and dipping tobacco in both yeah. activities. <laughs> so, I mean. That's why I tried to get Ryland to play baseball. And Amanda's like, well, we do fall ball. And I was like, just let the boy play T-ball in the spring. And then when the fall comes around, we'll go, we're going to go deer hunting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. When it starts to matter, people start paying attention, then you got to play all year. But yeah. yeah, you can still sneak away here and there. So tell us about Florida Boy Outfitters. Like, how, how did you get your start doing that? All right. So me and my buddies were uh, – you know, hanging out on Friday night in West Virginia. I met a couple kids that uh, ended up coming up there to play baseball also. How I end up with, you know, four or five Florida guys on a West Virginia baseball team, good question. But uh, we were cutting up and just talking. We all, y'all, we all, you know, like to hunt. And, you know, I got some buddies from down south, from Stewart, Florida, that are my best friends now and uh another one of my buddies from new jersey actually but talking to him you'd never know he's from up there (laughs) 
but we were sitting there in the um this little lounge area in our dorm room crappy dorm horrible but um we were sitting there and we started talking and i'm like man we're gonna have a lot of extra time on our hands you know because we don't have time to get a job but we got time you know we'll be able to hunt and be able to fish and do all that stuff with baseball and lifting and classes and everything else i said you know what we ought to start an outdoor page they were like oh yeah you know they're all about it and uh I, originally <clears throat> i was gonna have it be florida boys outdoors because there was there was three of us from florida that were going to be a part of it well at the time obviously we're all broke we ain't got no money to start nothing you know? <laughs> barely got barely got money to pay for beer you know we're familiar so um you know they i wanted to put the extra time and effort into it and it was kind of like they they were better students than me probably <laughs> so, they, so they didn't want to spend that extra time but um yeah it started there it just in in a lounge in the dorm room on a friday night we were just talking and bs and drinking some beer and it came about and kind of took off for me i i mean i'm obsessed with it i love it but uh like i said it just started off as a thing to keep me busy when i got that extra time so did that start off with you self-filming right out the gate so at first it was just oh well you can just follow you know florida boy outfitters and see my pictures of me in the woods or my buddies in the woods all the time and the effort that you put in you know like i was putting it out there everybody was seeing when i was going to fill feeders they would see me fill feeders like i just kind of almost like not necessarily blog style or vlog style but like pictures right every yeah day. so it started out like that and obviously being in college no cable on our dorm you know we didn't have nothing so we had the little uh roku things that plug into your tv yeah had youtube and it had carbon tv all those on them so we me and my buddy that i was really close with at the time we just we were ate up with it we watched hunting videos all day long until you know the early mornings just bs and hanging out and uh i was like man you know what i bet my grandma would give me some money to go buy a camera <laughs> so i i ended up calling my grandma i was like hey um you think i can go get a you know like 150 dollar cheap handy camera from walmart and by the way in west virginia like walmart is like a mecca they don't have much <laughs> so walmart is like a cool place so we went i got one and it was just a cheap um i want to say it was like a canon handy cam it was like nine point three megapixels like it was it was horrible that's that high quality stuff. yeah but uh but no i actually had never killed a deer with my bow prior to going to west virginia i was I, my dad has killed a pile of them with his bow but i never put the practice in to be accurate enough with it to hunt you know regularly <clears throat> and he was always like well you don't practice enough you know i'm not have you go out there and shoot one and wound it not find it so i, I hunt with my rifle a lot growing up and then i got there and i got ate up with it i right now like you could chase me with a rifle i don't i could care less to shoot a deer with a rifle at this point like uh and i've only shot a handful of deer with my bow but it's just i'd rather shoot a 115 inch buck with my bow than shoot a 140 with my rifle just the, the i don't know what it is the adrenaline pump or what but it eats me up so it's something more up close and personal well, I, I, I think it's 
you have to fool that animal. You're in his living room. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you got you have to. Like, I use the same analogy for people that don't hunt. I'm like, man, if I came in your house and I moved your kitchen table, would you notice? You know, and you got to put up stands, whether you're hunting on the ground. I Personally, I do not. I'm not a big ground blind hunter. I will here and there, but not a big fan of it just because you can only brush it in so good. And then even then, it's like putting a new couch in someone's living room. They're going to yeah. notice it. I like to be up, too, because that way you can see better, man. It drives me crazy when you can hear them, and you know they're there, and you can't see them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I before college, I was hunting a climber with a rifle on my back. So I hunted my whole life, and I got to college, and I got into the hang-ons and, you know, kind of the light, the lightish setups and whatever. And this year, I got in, I got in an XOP. Um, which I'll be switching this year again, but because I I didn't realize before I bought all my stuff, but they're made in China, so you know, gotta gotta find me an American company to get with this year. But <laughs> but there's, I mean, it was it changes the game for me because you can be so com- so comfortable, and it's light. I can have them up, and they have uh, like a little bracket you can hook to the tree, stand slides right in it, and then one you know two straps, you're done. Yeah. So uh, I never it's a lot really, like a millennium then. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like a millennium. I, I never hunted a lot out of lock-ons until I started hunting with buddies up in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee and they had lock-ons and I don't know why we never did. I guess it just wasn't something that hunt. I grew up hunting on private land and uh, in, in Georgia. So it was ladder stands and tower blinds and exactly. yep. stuff like that. And then <clears throat> we got up there and we were kind of move, always moving our stuff around and, even though we were still hunting some private land, it was still, it was uh, either use what we had or go out and buy a bunch of new stuff. So we had lock-ons everywhere. and But the lock-ons, man, you can hide a lock-on like nobody's business. You can walk right underneath it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember one time my buddy had a lock-on set up where there were two lock-ons up in the tree so that one person could hunt over top and film mm-hmm. the other guy. We're walking out there. He's like, you want to come hunt over here with me this afternoon? I was like, sure. So I walk over there, and he stops. I said, where's the stand? He said, right here in this tree. And I was like, well, what? I didn't even see the steps he had on the tree. He had them hidden so well. And I was like, okay, well, I'm glad I came over here with you, because if you just sent me over here to hunt it by myself, I'd have been sitting on the ground, because <laughs> I never would have found that dang tree stand. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was daylight. I mean, it was, we did an afternoon sit. Yeah. But that sucker was hidden up in the tree. The, the steps, you didn't see the steps. So he put it up. I never would have seen it had he not showed it to me. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy the technology they put into all the stuff now. Like with uh, the Lone Wolves and the XOPs and Millennium, all of them, they have like certain cuts on the base of the stand so that when the deer looks up from below, it breaks up your outline. Yep. It's crazy. Millennium's even gone as far as to make like those 360 lock-ons. That goes all the way around the tree. Yeah, I, I actually. Um, well, there, theirs doesn't go all the way around the tree. It's like a it it attaches and it's like a round platform. The chair swivels in a full sixty yeah. degree. I mean, yeah. three hundred sixty degrees. You could by no means backpack that in and out of no, there. But and that's, see, I like to, I like to be mobile. Yeah, because I'll I'll get in there and if a deer cuts me off one day. I'm like, especially West Virginia. I learned literally so much because I hunted on my own. I didn't have my dad to be like, oh, hey, can you help me do this? You know, because regardless how, how you grow up, if you, if you hunt with your dad, 
you're asking a million questions. Right. But yeah. in reality, he tells you them over and over again. You know, as a kid, you don't retain them. It's just like, oh, well, whatever. I can just ask him again. But then when you're out there standing in the middle of, you know, 150 acres by yourself, you're like, oh, <laughs> phone don't work down here in the bottom. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure something out. <laughs> well, when you were hunting West Virginia, I assume you also had to learn how to hunt the thermals. Oh, man. Right, because the deer crazy. move differently in the afternoon than they do in the morning. Well, and, and like you were saying earlier where you're hunting Georgia, you hunt bottoms. The deer travel the bottoms for the most part. You know, those yeah. hardwood bottoms is what you want to be in there and a lock on or, you know, a climber or whatever. Down there. Or up there? No. It, they travel ridges. They don't walk those bottoms. It's crazy. So it, for me, it was just a whole complex thing to figure out. And I actually got with one of my buddies, uh, Trey Kearns, and uh, <clears throat> he's got an outdoor page too, and he started his around the same time, and he taught me how to hunt West Virginia deer, turkeys, everything else. But he, I mean, the amount of knowledge he had being, you know, he's probably three years older than me. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And I didn't have a vehicle on campus freshman year. So he'd call me. He's like, hey, man, I know you're sitting in the dorm. You want to go? Yep. Absolutely. I already got my boots on. So he come <laughs> pick me up, and I just watched him, you know, the first season because I had – I was hunting someone's backyard freshman year. Like, I, I – the other kid that I started the Florida Way Outfitters with, he was like, oh, I know somebody that knows somebody up here that's got two acres or three acres. And I'm like – you think you'll let us hunt it? Oh, yeah. So we hung his backyard, literally, <laughs> like in a neighborhood. But Hey, you laugh, but I, I said, William's been there, done that. I smoked a fat doe with that rifle right there on the bottom of that rack in my buddy's backyard. Oh, yeah. He had he had about an acre, and then his neighbor had an acre, and his neighbor had an acre. But all these houses were, like the lot itself, exposed lot, might have been a tenth of an acre. So the rest of it was all swamp. And, I mean, when I it was swamp, when I hunted it in December, January – I got showed up and he's like, Oh, are those boots waterproof? I was like, Yeah. He's like, But they're not tall enough. Oh. He's like, Let me let you borrow some of mine. Let me see if these will fit. And I had like knee high boots on and my feet still got wet walking through oh the water. Lord. And I shot that doe standing in knee deep water. Crazy. At 30 or 40 yards with that rifle. But he'd been back there hunting. He killed, killed a nice little buck back there, but it, literally in a backyard. It's crazy. That's Florida for you right there. That was South Georgia. Yeah, that was Southeast Georgia when I lived up in Georgia. But that's how it is down here. I mean, you you find an acre, it's a gold mine. It could be because there's nowhere to hunt around it. Right. Or it's all state land around it or whatever. Right. So, I mean, we started out on a cell phone. You started out with a $150 Walmart camera. Obviously, you see what we got going on today. What kind of camera are you using now? All right. So, I run two different setups. Um if I'm filming myself with no cameraman, I run a Canon HFG40, which is just a 1080p. Um, it's got like a 20 time optical zoom, so you're good out to like 250. You know, rifle hunt, and that's what I use. Um, if I have someone to film for me, I actually just got um, a Sony A6300, which is a 4K, and then um, I got a 50 to 210 lens, and then a regular. 18 to 55 kit lens that's what i take all my pictures with now i I mean i try to stay away from my cell phone as much as i can with my pictures just because i mean in reality they're good pictures but they're just a little bit more crisp when you got you know a good camera like that um but i also always try to run a 
like a POV somewhere like to the tree or um, <clears throat> possibly like, you know, on my bow if, if I can. Um, stuff like that. I, I use, I used to use tact cams and then I shot two deer that should have been on camera and they never recorded a single thing. So, Jeez. and it's expensive. And I used to, I used to actually like be on their staff for a little while. Right. But yeah, I, I kind of told them they could kick rocks. Just, I'm not, I'm not, uh, marketing a paperweight. Well, if you're in the yeah. business, I mean, if you're in the business to film and it's not filming, yeah, I'm like, I, I literally told the guy, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm not trying to complain, but, you know, these things are $500 a pop. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I got a discount on them, but geez. And he's like, well, you must have done something wrong. I said, oh, so it's my fault. I said, you guys are, oh, it's a one-click technology. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know how that works. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, I, I use a GoPro for the most part. And I don't have a new one. It's an older one. It's like a Sessions 5. It's probably five years old. But um, I use a little hawk stick that drills into the tree, shape up above me, and I hook it to my phone. So so what do you do to combat the crappy battery life of the GoPro? Oh, man. So. Because this is, and I asked that yeah. for purely our own knowledge, because we're talking about using GoPros. I've got a, a brand new GoPro that I hardly ever use for anything, but uh, still trying to figure it out. It's a far more advanced piece of technology than i am and uh but we have noticed that the the battery life on the gopros is maybe 45 minutes yeah they run time and then they're they're dead i mean me personally if i'm not like if i'm not actually ready to you know I, i try to turn it on once i see the deer if possible which obviously that's a lot of movement and like and that's just part of it, part of the filming thing for me. I, I've missed numerous opportunities at shooting deer because I'm trying to get it all on film because I'm committed to it. And it'll test it'll test your commitment really quick. Because <laughs> <Yeah, I bet laughs> you're like, you know what, man, I really don't need that video. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I I try to keep a spare battery in like in my backpack too, but like you said, you can only run so much on it. Right. But so when you're using the GoPro, are you just getting in the stand? Clicking it and it's just no, running behind no, you. No. I um, I'll set it all up like ready to for the angle, and I always try to set it up to where I think obviously where I think the deer's gonna come from. So, I pers- I really like the over the shoulder, like over the shoulder shot with that GoPro because it just gives you that second angle, and technically you got two kill shots. Like yeah. if you're getting on your main camera and your GoPro. It's not easy to get it all yeah. together, but um, on a buck in West Virginia, I got the whole thing. Like, my buddy was filming for me, so that on that, that little helps. that little camera, and uh, um, and I got the whole thing over the shoulder, and I was like, man, gotta ha- I have to have that over the shoulder shot now. And this year, I I actually double tapped my GoPro when I shot that buck on film this year in Florida, so I didn't have any over the shoulder footage at <laughs> all, and I. I was so excited after I literally watched him go down four yards away, but I was so excited that I didn't even care at the time. But then when I started editing the video, I'm like, man, that that three that three minute clip of him coming in and me sticking him right there at 18 yards would have been awesome. But yeah, man, it's there's a lot of moving moving parts to yeah. It's make already the hard enough. And if you're thinking about, well, I got this camera here, and you just mentioned double clicking your GoPro, even having the wherewithal. 
when everything else and all the you know focus comes in, your yeah. hearing goes up, your eyes laser in and saying, "Oh yeah, I got to click the GoPro too." Hitting that, uh, yeah, it's already hard enough. That and I can barely breathe. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> My knees are hitting together. But. So, so uh, what kind of camera arms are you using? All right, so I've used. I started out um, when I had the cheap camera in West Virginia. I bought the muddy, you know, the big, mm-hmm. heavy, blocky, muddy camera arm. I still use it to this day. Sometimes I'll leave one in Georgia at the hunting camp, and I'll use one down here. I'm going back and forth. But um, I have a fourth arrow carbon, carbon one, and I think it's like I want to say it's a pound and a half lighter than the muddy one, and that just makes it a lot easier for me. And it's got a excuse me um they have you can get the packs of bases for like i want to say four bases for a hundred bucks so you can just carry them from tree to tree i can just leave them in the tree yeah because all it is is just a ratchet strap and um and it's got two i guess it has like two of the little clips i don't know what they're called but um and they hook into two things that come into like a triangle and it just clips them together and they hook to the tree four for a hundred bucks i can have four different stands ready to go all i got to carry is my camera arm and in the little uh little ball head that's it, it makes that's way easier so you do you when you've got your area that you want to hunt do you then set up different lock-on stands and different arms so that way when you actually arrive you can see where the wind's coming from yeah. And that way you can just adjust to that one hunt set based on the conditions that present themselves on the day when you're. Yeah. So for me, um, with Florida, I'm hunting 30 acres. In Georgia, our lease is almost 2,000. So I, I try to pick one deer to hunt in both places. I mean, obviously, it's probably the biggest one we have on camera. Yeah. <laughs> but I try, I try to um, – I try to pattern that deer as much as I possibly can and like to the point of making notes in a notebook like oh he was on the camera this day and it was an east east wind okay he was here again two weeks later same temperature east wind so he's probably bedding to the east of you know or where the wind is blowing yeah because he wants to be able to smell everything up wind you know because that's where he can smell them coming but he can see everything else so for me in Florida I have, and the piece of property I hunt also has cows on it too, so that makes it a little more difficult, you know, throwing soybeans and stuff like that. They're most of the time the cows are going to get to it before the deer do, so I have a little section of it fenced off, where it's I mean probably maybe two acres that's fenced off where the cows cannot get in there during hunting season, and uh, I'll throw out soybeans or whatever, especially this time of year trying to get them some protein so they're you know, finishing up growing, but, uh, I'll set up a stand at each end so that I can hunt the separate winds. So it, it's like a big pasture. I want that wind to blow into the pasture because the deer are going to come out of the woods for the most part from what I've watched over the couple of years I've hunted it. So I'll put one at one end on the opposite side of the food plot that we, we uh, plant every year. So I'll put it on the opposite side. So if the wind is blowing one direction, it blows straight into the field. And then on the other end, I'll put it on the opposite side of it. So if it is blowing, it'll blow into the, the woods where I come in, basically. So Georgia is totally different for me, though. I like 
I like to move, but like I said, I don't want to intrude on where those deer are bedding and stuff. When I'm trying to get in there close to them, it's hard to do in, in Georgia, a lot harder to do in Georgia than I feel like in Florida. Because the deer in Florida, I feel like they're, where I'm hunting, they're kind of used to seeing people. You know what I mean? Like they'll sure. see people in, in the park or in whatever. In the neighborhood. And- yeah, and they'll be used to, the, they're used to at least seeing them. So like those deer in Georgia, they see tractors, you know, from planting soybean or not planting uh, peanuts or planting cotton or whatever like that. So it's funny you mentioned tractors in Georgia because we've we hunt you know places where the, it's also share crop, and I've watched deer in the field feeding when the farmer is running the tractor and they don't run away. Yeah. But if you if those do if those deer are feeding in that field. And you just walk out of the woods. Ah! Oh, they're, <laughs> they're gone. gone. Oh, yeah. You know, so they, they know. they've The deer know that the guy in the tractor is not somebody you got to worry yeah. about. And that's, It's weird uh, how they acclimate like that. It, I mean, and that's – people see a deer and they just see an animal. It's crazy the amount of just repetitive knowledge that they have. Like, if one thing – because they – I mean, obviously everything's – I mean, us as people are on a schedule – whether we realize it or not, we're doing pretty much the same thing almost every day. Yeah. And the deer are doing mostly most of the same thing depending on, you know, wind and whatever, instead of us having, oh, well, we got this meeting we got to go to, so that's going to change the day, or we need to go run this errand, it's going to change our day, the deer are doing the same thing when the wind, cha- <clears throat> the wind changes or something like that. So, but, yeah, it, it, it'll blow your mind how different the deer are five hours away from each other. Yeah. And and then in West Virginia, it's even worse. Like, they see you from a half a mile away. They're like, whoa, that's a person. That's, that's not, it's not another deer. So, but my buddy that I was talking about earlier, um, he, he's even gone to the extreme hunting a big buck. Like, he'll he'll drive the tractor to the stand. <laughs> park, the tra- uh, park the tractor right there. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, they're used to seeing him bush hogging and doing whatever. So, he's like, if they see my truck, it's out of the ordinary. I'll drive my truck around all the time. You know I mean? I will here and there, but not enough. And I don't know what it is about the tractor. They're just comfortable with it. So. I've noodled around a couple times with the idea of going up, mowing our camp, you know, and just getting all sweaty and nasty, and then go getting some kind of scarecrow and taking my, you know, my clothes from mowing and putting it on, you know, and figure you you trade that out a couple of times. Yeah. And they get used to, uh, there's that stinky guy, but <laughs> nothing yeah. ever happens when he's around. He didn't hurt me last time. I haven't time. done it yet, yeah, but I've yeah. thought about it. I mean, it, like I said, it's just they're just creatures of habit. They're going to notice those little changes. So if, if you can make it, I've heard of people taking cardboard cutouts and putting them in their box blinds. I yeah. was going to say, you know, I've tossed around the idea before plywood got so expensive of making like silhouette shaped cutouts of people and sticking them and using them as like backrests on ladder stands. Yep. That way, when a deer comes out, he looks up, he always sees that same head and shoulder silhouette there. And then when you go and sit in front of it, it's virtually the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've literally heard people doing it. They'll take a cutout, whether it be cardboard or whatever, and they'll just stick it in a ladder stand. Ratchet strap it down or, you know, bungee hey, cord. If it works. I mean. I, I mean, at the how I look at it is if he's already that close, he's probably done anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if I'm up there with a rifle. Well, oh, it's, yeah. it's not the whole, it's, it's not the thing of the deer is out in the food plot or whatever, looking at your stand going, Hmm. It's when he's standing just inside the woods and you have no idea that he's about to step out exactly. looking at your stand going, Hmm. 
because that's that's the moment that counts because that's you know the deer that sees you before whatever you ever see yeah it. i was gonna say how I often mean, you sitting in this den you're like oh snap i didn't even hear him coming where did he just come from yeah he's right. 20 yards sorry yeah. with you yeah <laughs> you know though i've i've watched deer come in and hit my trail like if i've walked in they'll come in and hit my trail and come to a dead stop and i've seen them you know put the nose down look around nose down, and then turn around and walk back I've seen him come into that trail, hit it, look around. Yeah, no problem. And I've also seen you know deer come along, hit that scent trail, and literally just t- take off like somebody hit a starter pistol, right? So I, I like I can't figure it out, man. Like they don't, they, they certainly don't all have a uniform reaction. I guess there's probably a lot of things that come into it as to. How fresh is that trail when they hit it? Right. Have I been there? I don't think about that. Like, have I been there 15 minutes or have I been there two and a half hours? Yeah. Because I'm sure that plays into their thinking. Oh, for sure. And, or I guess you also don't know. Like, I, I, th- I tend to think, like, well, that deer that hit the trail and then got out of Dodge probably not too long ago had an experience either with me that I, I was unaware of. Or with somebody else, it was a human being. Was exposed that, to something. Yeah, it didn't yeah. go well. Like, they just watched the buddy just get knocked down. <laughs> yeah, you know, literally, like, right? Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> I always try to put some kind of cover scent on my boots. Like, once not far from camp, throw some cover scent on them, and then get closer to the stand, you know, whether it be dopey or I got some other crap that smells like apples or something. And, like, a spray bottle, I'll just spray the bottom of the boots a couple of times and walk in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't go the extra mile. I guess you could say when it comes to scent control. Like, I don't wash my clothes every night. No, I got an ozone bag that I I got. I don't know how much I really believe in it or not. I don't know if it works, but apparently it does for some. I mean, it, might, it don't. It doesn't hurt. So I do that, and then um, I got a guy I work with out of New Jersey. Uh, it's Rat Getter Scents, and he he's got some awesome stuff, and I've been using it for the last probably four or five years, and it. I very seldom do I get busted unless they just come in straight downwind and I'm just, I mean, you know, they got, they hung me out to dry when they're standing there at 50 yards and they're like, something's not right. You know, I mean, that's going to happen regardless, but I'll do the same thing. Spray my boots down real good when I leave my truck. And that's another thing nobody really realizes, but they're like, oh, I'm super, super careful about my scent control. But then you jump in your driver's seat that you sit in after you've been working all day long and you're, you know, you're sweating nasty and you hop in your truck, and you get in the same seat before you go to the stand. Yeah. Part, most people won't even think about it. Yeah. And, right. and then I got friends that they'll drive to the stand in their underwear, you know, or whatever, <laughs> in, their ba- in their base layer, and they got a, um, a scent-proof, you know, bo- box in their back of their yeah. truck. They're going to pull all their clothes out and get dressed right there. I'm like, I don't got time for that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> now, this, I'll tell you a funny story. I had a buddy who was like that, right? I mean, he had the ozone thing that plugged into his truck. He sat with the ozone thing on the, the on the tree. He kept all his stuff in the ozone box. He did all, I mean, scent control to the T. The drive to the tree stand in your underwear type of guy. Like, <clears throat> everything just, he you, you'd think he smells like nothing. Had the hardest time killing a deer. Then I had the buddy who was the complete and total opposite. Goes to the tree stand. <laughs> smokes a cigarette in the tree stand. Gets yeah. up in the tree stand, Did cracks it. a cracks a dang Coke, puts it in his little cup. I'm not talking just 
right there, sets it down, lights up a cigarette, killed four does with a bow that year. I'm telling you, that's how my dad is. My dad, oh. my dad wears Walmart camouflage. He's got four mixed match arrows in his quiver. He shoots his bow about three times a year. Two of them are out of deer. And I, and I like, I practice and practice and practice. And he's like, man, you're just wearing your bow out. You know, like he, and he'll come out there and shoot three arrows. He's like, yep, I'm ready, ready to go. And that's two days before the season starts. I mean, I, I went to the tree stand. I was having a hard year one year, and I went to the tree stand with this guy because he's been seeing deer left and freaking right. And we found a tree. The, the, it was like one base, two trunks. And we were literally sitting two feet, three feet apart, and two different climbers. Get up in there and get settled down. He just... And he goes, on your left. And I said, what? On your left. And I lean around him, and there's three does standing there at 40 yards. Like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. We just sat down. You're playing games on your phone with the volume on, and there's four does standing there. I'm telling you. But I think going back to where Hunter was talking about, where were you hunting? Or do they have that was in that was in Kentucky? Yeah, but what I mean is, in what proximity proximity to people, and as those does are ranging, are they are they routinely running into people that are smoking cigarettes, people that are dicking yeah. around the phone? Oh yeah, making phone calls. <laughs> so that's just not a, that I mean, was you can do that so in my neighborhood. I tell you this, I tell you this. That was on the land nav course in the military base. So yes, there were cigarettes smoked. There were people on their phones. There was talking going on all the time <laughs> when you weren't there. So yeah, I mean maybe that has something to do with it where we sat that day. But he also did the same thing on our private property we had up there in Tennessee, but that didn't happen. Still killed a deer. I'm telling you, you some I, people some people just got the golden horseshoe. I was you know yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> I, it's, it's in there. There's some I know some people that are smokers and they swear by smoking cigarettes in trees down. Cover scent. Yeah. They're I've like it'll it, it'll people, bring I've I've heard them. It'll bring deer in. Well, Every time I smoke a cigarette I see deer. And that's like you look at you, you go to Walmart and they got it on the shelf. I'm like, that literally says smoke. Like yeah. you wanna spray that on your clothes? You know, <laughs> I thought about I thought about getting a uh like a, a bee smoker. Yeah. And using that to smoke my clothes out with like pine needles or hmm. Whatever yeah, else, because I mean, you, you pick up something that's natural around the woods you're hunting in. Yeah. yeah. That way, the smoke would smell the same as if there was just a fire, because fire is a natural thing that happens. Yeah. Period. Right. Uh, that probably here. actually be a good thing up there in Georgia, where they always burn all those pine needles after they do all the harvesting of them. Yeah. Yep. Smoke yeah. your clothes down real good with that as a cover scent. That's crazy. I never thought about that. Yeah. And I just you get don't a, know, man. I, when you read about how powerful the olfactory senses are in a deer, and I've heard people describe it. Like the deer smell and color, where or shades where you and I might smell a fruit salad, but the deer is smelling oranges and watermelon like, yeah. and like cherries, things, yeah. not just fruit salad. There, and I so I wonder about it. You don't know because you can't have a conversation with a whitetail, yeah. yeah. But you know, that they, they can't, their, their sense of smell isn't something that we can imagine, it's so developed. But I wonder about that. Like, that's part of the reason why. I mean, I do, I try not to go really stink it up too bad, but I don't go bananas with the scent control because no matter how clean your clothes are or how scent free your clothes are, you know what isn't scent free? Your stanky ass. Even if you just yeah. got out of the shower, <laughs> you still story. smell like a human Literally. being. Literally. You know, and all the dander and stuff that's coming off of you as you, as you're walking, it's all still there. So I don't. I mean, I certainly don't have it all figured out. I mean, I kill plenty of deer, and I've killed them when I know that they know I'm there. Like you, you can tell you. You guys all know. You've seen enough. Oh, absolutely. You know, sometimes that they're just. You really got them. They're totally clueless. They're free. right. And other times, you they know you, they know something's there, 
they're around, they're alert, you know, and they're playing that game where they put their head down and they pick their head back up and they look around a little bit and they, they fake <laughs> out. You know that they know something's not right, but they're not alarmed enough to Diddy. Right. You yeah. know, so, so I, I can't figure, I, I just don't know. I'll never know. That's, that's like, uh, we have a specific doe in our lease in Georgia, and she's old. I don't know how old she is, but she, she still comes in the heat because, boy, them bucks, she's usually ch- getting chased somewhere. We see her every year with bucks behind her. But the only reason I know it's her for 100% fact is I don't know if she had, like, some kind of, like, you know, hit by a car. I don't know what happened, but her nose is, like, shifted a little bit on the end. So, like, her nose is perfectly straight, and the tip of her nose has a little bit of, like, a right <laughs> bend to it. Like, she got hit by a car or, like, stung by a bee or, or something. You know, I thought she got bit by a snake is what I thought happened because it was all swelled up. So I was like, well, she'll probably die. And then I saw her the next year, and I saw her this year again. So, But that doe will come in there to a feeder in Georgia, you know, and sit there, and she knows that something's up. She's on edge. She just, you know, she's real, you know, she's paying attention to everything. And she will literally put her head down like she's eating and never go to the feeder and look. And she'll just look. And if you move, oh, boy, she's got you like that. Yeah. I mean, so quick. And But that's what you're saying. You know, sometimes they know that something's not right. But it's almost like they they don't feel threatened enough to care. But, like, you won't see a big buck do that. No. <laughs> you know? well, no, I would say because you, you'll catch a doe. They'll come in and catch you, and she's got that one foot. She's just sitting there. Stomping. Stomping oh. that one foot. And then she's like, if I'm not dead now. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well, you know. Hey, hey, my motto, especially with a bow in my hand, and if they're close, if she blows, she goes. Yeah. I'll, I'll give, I'll give <laughs> everyone a heartbeat, man. If she comes in there and busts you one time, especially bow hunting, she's going to bust you again. Yeah. Because she knows you're there, and especially if she sees you. If she just smells you, you're probably all right. She's going to blow and run off. But if she sees you, start stomping, and then she blows, gonna oh, look yeah, there I'm, every my, time. I'm already Not, starting to draw back. I'm about to give it to her. Not only is she going to bust you that time and any other time you come to that stand she's gonna tell all her friends about it too. exactly yeah i had i got busted really bad by three does one year and every time i'd every time I'd again I'd, I'd get a glimpse of them and they if i was there i'd see them leaving they just knew well the next season i was hunting and uh you know you got yearlings and what this doe comes in with two yearlings that, I mean, they still had, you, if you look closely, still had spots on them. And, and the yearlings come in and they're, you know, doing their thing. Cause, and man, you could tell that that doe, that doe knew I was there. She wouldn't have been in the yearlings. She, but by the body language and the stomping, she, she's like, no, don't go out there. And, yeah. and you knew, she knew I was there, but she wouldn't leave the does. And well, she didn't leave it. You got to go, man. You're the yeah. alarm system. Sometimes you got to make that execu- executive decision. Yeah. You got to take her out. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what's the hardest hunt you've had to you, you film so far? It was not a successful one. I'm going to go ahead and start with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, the book I ended up shooting in West Virginia, it was a, I, I heard so much controversy from people that live around there, but I'm like, this deer's old. He's 240 pounds, 
you know, he's the biggest buck body deer I've ever killed. They, I mean, but they get, I mean, you can shoot them 275 if you're in the right, you know, around farm fields up there. It's crazy. But I had that deer come in. And like I said, I had never killed a deer with my, bu- with my bow. Never killed a buck with my bow at all. Came in the year before. And I was self-filming. And he comes straight downwind. So I'm not expecting any deer to come from that way. You know, it's, it's behind me, basically. And I hear stick break. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm not standing up. I'm like nothing. And he's 25, 30 yards behind me. I'm like, oh, man. So I just kind of, you know, look over my shoulder, and there he is. All I can see is horns, and I'm like, all right. And he was no giant buck. I mean, he's just just a regular old slick six-point. No, just forks on both ends. That's what I called him when I was hunting him, forks. And uh, that was the year prior to me killing him. And he came in there, and I had him at 25, and I'm like, all right, I got this. I got them by myself. I got my camera on my right side, you know, so I can move with my release on my hand and hold my bow with my left. Figured that out real quick, too. So I spun the camera around when he came in on my left side, so I had the camera bent around me, and um, I I went to draw back, and I did. I hit my camera arm. Ting! I'm like, oh. And I'm three-quarters weight draw, 70 pounds. I'm like, I'm gonna get it the rest of the way. <laughs> and I finally got it. And when I got it, I I don't know if I punched trigger or what I did. Honestly, I wasn't that good at shooting my bow at that point. So I could have just, you know, misjudged the yardage or whatever. I shot right underneath him. We ran ten feet and stopped. And I'm like, oh man. Now I gotta try to get an arrow out of my quiver on my bow. And he's looking the opposite direction because the arrow went under him and skipped. Well, it made noise behind him, too. So he's, like, looking behind him. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That, Damn rabbits. Yeah, what's going on? Like, I got a second opportunity. So I get the arrow knocked. And I drew back. And I got three-quarters of the way again. And I'm like, I got to be a little higher. So I drew back, and I punched my I punched my uh, release. Shoot the arrow straight in the ground at the base of the tree. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'll, I'll never go to the woods again without someone filming me. You know, like, I was all worked up. And the deer just eased off and, and it hung out. And then, uh, but going back to why I had to put my camera on my right side, I didn't, I don't know no better. You know, I didn't have anybody like showing me how to do these things. My dad doesn't never film to hunt. You know, he, he don't know what to do either. So first time I ever set it up, I'm like, well, it's more convenient to put it on my left side so that I can grab for my boat. And I had my bow hanging on my right side so I can grab it. You know, that's just what I always did. Well, I had the camera on my left side, and a, a different buck came in a couple weeks before that, and I got stood up. He's coming straight to me. I'm like, all right, and he just takes a hard right turn. He's going straight into the bottom, so I drew back, and I hit. Um, I had like a. Now they're like TAP, like titanium archery products as metal screw and uh, stabilizer. This one's from like. 89 my dad's solo cam but (laughs) i I drew it back and i I hit the camera arm well i like leaned up over top of it while still touching it so when i let the arrow go i shot like way right and i hit the deer like center mass of his neck and it didn't knock him down and i'm like freaking out i'm like oh man now i shot this deer i'm not gonna find him i'm freaking out and i got the whole thing on film except for when i let the arrow go the whole camera just shaking 
you know, yeah. so it was horrible footage, but I was, I was pumped because I knew I hit the deer and I saw the blood and I looked at the footage again. I'm like, the arrow hit and just, you could see the Luminoc make a circle, you know, make that circle and hit that contact with his neck and it just circled out. And I'm like, I hit him in a bone or something in his neck forward. We tracked that deer, man, all night long, like 1 a.m. Finally, we gave up. I saw him on the camera the next day eating out of the feeder. Next day. Oh, man, so you you went between the spine and the jugular somehow. It it had to have been. Hit a gap. Only thing I think of, it was high in his neck. Because if it was low, it would have hit his jugular or at least got his vent. You know, he bled so much. I thought the deer was dead, honestly. Yeah. I figured I'd wait for buzzards the next day or so or whatever and find him. And... I got in the habit of like every time I'd go to my stand, which is horrible to do, but every time I'd go to the stand, I'd pull my SD card and I have one of the little things that plugged into my phone. I just looked through all the pictures from the day, the day before, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm like, oh, that's the buck I shot yesterday. And it was like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. We're down there looking for him and he's up at the feeder. Like he'd, have, he'd, have, he'd have made a whole loop, you know, and I couldn't believe how much the deer bled and didn't find him. But like I said, I guess it was not, you know, non-lethal. Even though he lost all that blood, he laid up somewhere and or got, you know, never filled his lungs up or whatever. You know, he never got, he never bled out enough to yeah. die. Jeez. But talk about rough one. That was a rough two weeks, man. <laughs> I, I was like, Dad, do you think you can ship me my rifle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is easily the most frustrating thing about self-filming? The hardest thing for me is it's to just stay confident in it because it's like, all right, well, I got my camera. I got my bow. I'm confident with myself in each one of them, but together they're dangerous as can be because of those reasons that I just said, like you can mess up so quick. And me, I'm like, I want to be as literally as ethical as I can. I'm probably, I would, I would literally say I probably respect deer more than I respect most people, to be honest with you, just because I, I would hate to do what I did. I shot that deer, and he ran through the woods and bled out, and I never, you know, never ended up killing him. I don't know if neighbor killed him. I don't know what happened. He might have died that summer, you know. So, for me, that that'll it'll eat me up bad. Like I, I shot one with my rifle a couple years ago and hit him forward, got the whole thing on film, but I was rushed. I was rushed. He was coming across the food plot, you know, bat, bat, got him to stop, and I'm like checking the camera, you know, trying to make sure everything's right, throw the gun up. Well, instead of, you know, I took my time on the camera part, but I rushed the shot, shot him forward, ended up finding the deer the next day, but he got eaten by coyotes. So, like, that stuff eats me up. Right. Yeah. But I I would say that's the most challenging part is just because I'm committed to it. Like, I will 100% watch a deer walk away from me without shooting them on film. At this point, I've gotten to the point where I've killed enough good deer that – I want one day, like, you see the old videos of Michael Waddell shooting turkeys in the, you know, in the early 90s and stuff with his dad. Like, I want to show my kids that one day. Like, yeah. hey, man, look, this is your pops in 2016 shooting a deer in mountains of West Virginia with a bow. Like, that, I mean, who doesn't want to do something, you know, be able yeah. to show something like that? So, that's another thing that the Florida Way Outfitters thing gives me. It's just like it's just a platform to hold all that, hold all that stuff there. It'll be there forever i think one thing i've kind of talked with will about some i was like because especially like we do a lot of deer hunting but we do a lot of waterfowl hunting 
I've told him, I'm like, man, it just, I feel like it, if, if I am tr- like, I'm trying to film us, I'm going to miss out on all these shots. Cause I'm watching for birds. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me get their approach. Let me get them, you know, cup them coming in and everybody blasting. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Everybody shot. But I just filmed the whole thing and didn't get to shoot anything. See, it, not, I, it took me so long, man. Like I'll go and film my little sister now. Like I'll film my dad. I, I almost get as, and I'll say almost, not nearly as much, but I almost get as much gratification out of getting the whole plan come together than I do as me shooting a deer, if that makes sense. Just because Yeah, man, getting the artist's side down. The production of it, like the everything that goes into it. Nobody sees me charging batteries and switching lenses and getting B-roll. Like, nobody sees those things. Yeah. So it, when it all comes together, it's... it's it's satisfaction for sure at its finest. B-roll can make a lot of it too. Oh, we just watched the whole movie of B-roll. Yeah. Man, Man honestly, <laughs> that's that's the toughest thing for me because I'm just like I just want to grab a camera and go hunt. I don't I don't I don't want to take my I don't want to have a video of me grabbing my bow out of the case out of the back of the truck. Like I don't want to do that. It's cheesy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel <laughs> I feel funny when I do it, but people that I talk to they're like, "Man, you need some B-roll." I'm like, wh- what? Like you like you like to watch me take my bow out of my case, yeah. but it's like I think it's the cinematic, like s- you know, feeling of it makes it more of like a movie. I'll yeah. send you the uh, I'll send you a copy of the two thousand miles film that Yukonuba put out. Um, it's not a bad movie. I, I enjoyed it, but I'm not kidding. The entire movie. It's B-roll. Two hours is B-roll. Literally. The whole thing is B-roll to B-roll to B-roll, and then an interview. You might have, like, a couple, a solid two minutes in the whole movie of them actually shooting, if even that. Well, and and that's that's another thing. You look at, look at, watch YouTube today. Watch, like, I I love deer meat for dinner, and, like, I I got a moving weight fishing shirt on right now. It's a YouTuber, young kid. He's, like, 21. But... They their videos are literally twenty five minutes long, and there's literally four. I mean, some of Deer Meat for Dinner's videos has thirty seconds of hunting in it. Yeah, he shoots a pig with his rifle off a feeder, drags him out, cleans him, cooks him. That's his video. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. cooking video. That's different. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. But he's like, it's like a, it's that the catch, clean, and cook thing now. Like that's like yeah. that's this huge thing. Everybody loves it, and I, I mean, I did one. Um, not too long ago, just me and my brother messed around pond hop and like made a little catch clean and cook. Made like fish tacos out of bass that we we hooked to in the stomach. So I cooked tacos, and video was like I had more comments on that video than any of my YouTube videos. Yeah. Period. I don't know what it is about this like catch clean and cook thing. And for us, that's just a normal thing. Well, I think yeah. that I think you hit it right in the money. Is that for most of us, it's it's always. To me, at least, and to most of, almost all my friends, it's always been about being able to eat it. Yeah. Right. Yet, when you look at still uh, just recently, where a lot of the hunting shows and things were, it was all very much focused on the kill, and maybe the things leading up to the kill, and then like a segment, you know, thir- two minutes at the end of a thirty-minute hunting show. By the way, we made burgers, or <laughs> we like made it, stew. It almost went full circle, complete switch. Yeah, yeah, in a way, because I I never really thought about it like that. Because I remember watch growing up watching the Pursuit Channel, 
that's exactly like how everything was set up the pursuit you know of the animal the the four-day hunt and it's just a bunch of random footage of you know a doe here you know yeah. a little buck here whatever and then this the stud they've been you know hunting for four days comes out and shoots them. yeah in show you know there's no there's no more to it never really thought about it like that see no, I, I don't know man I, I i like the <clears throat> i like the whole if it's all about a cooking show that that's not bad either but i definitely like the the whole mix like the how did you get to it yeah the actual taking of the animal and then whether it's during that episode or another one what what did you actually do with it yeah because you know and even when you talk to an awful lot of people that are hunting you know, it's it's burger, sausage, or something wrapped in bacon, and that's the end of the repertoire. And yeah. I really do like that people are really starting to show people, others, how to make really good food out of it. Locally, we got guys like Adam Steele that are doing a hell of a job of it. But Yeah, man, if you get a Florida dude this year, you got to try and take to Adam Steele. Gotcha. He does some wicked stuff with, I mean, if you can dream it, he can process it into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of our stuff, like, just, we have a little processing party. We'll all show up at, at uh, my dad buddy's Clay Turner's house. We'll roll up there, all, you know, our frozen deer meat and stuff, making burgers and sausage and summer sausage and jerky and sticks and all that good stuff. And we do a lot of it. And and I almost, I get just as much out of that as, you know, the camaraderie. You yeah. know, those are the people you like to be around. You know, that's that's another day you get outside of hunting season to be around everybody so so how does inclement weather affect your filming oh man i mean it rains a lot down in the south and that's something you know because we talked about filming stuff i'm like man if we get that camera wet not gonna be good yeah um man honestly it's so it's tough that makes it so tough for me i have um I have like a, a parka jacket, you know, back in my skinnier days. <laughs> it's like, a, it's like a medium or a small maybe, but, um, I keep it in my pack and, um, I have like a Badlands pack that has a little thing that rolls out at the bottom. It's got a little zipper. I just tuck it in there. I've, it saved my camera multiple times, especially from just raining and how Florida is. It's, oh man, it's sunny. It's nice. It's brisk. All of a sudden it's pouring down rain. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Like there's one cloud and it's right above me right now. Yeah. But that's what I try to do. Um <clears throat> I know a couple guys that they'll even keep like a gallon ziploc and you know, keep it they'll just put it over their camera when it's raining, when it stops raining. But then they come into the thing of lenses fogging up. Yeah. When it starts to get real humid. I've I've had it uh a couple times with me down here where it's just that muggy you know, first thing in the morning, I can't get the lens. I can't get it to stay unfogged, and I'm <sighs> wiping it off. You know, and I can't. I can't get it to stay. It's I've just, had the same thing happen with my rifle scope. Where you're sitting there and all oh, the deer man. steps out, and you look at it like, whoa! I can't see anything. It's yeah, like looking yeah. through a cloud. Yep. But uh, another thing is with those. I actually, I used to have these uh, these wipes, and I don't know what kind of wipes they were. They're some kind of camera equipment wipe. But it would that was the only thing I could get to work. And they came in like the little wet net packets. So I'm like, I don't really know if I want to put this on my lens. Like, it's kind of wet. Like, it's probably going to make it worse. You know, is what I'm thinking. But I've actually had a couple buddies have condensation get in their lenses hunting. 
Yeah, I've had that from down here and like ruin their lens. I'm like, what am I supposed to do, man? There's nothing you can do about it. It, it It is what it is. So, who introduced you to the great outdoors? This is an easy one. Um, definitely my dad. Um, for the most part, everything I know is because of my dad. And he used to drag me along way before I could carry a shotgun. We were calling turkeys and he was shooting turkeys and deer and running dogs in South Carolina. I was knee high to a grasshopper on his shoulders, wading through water, you know, up to his, up to his nipples. My feet are in the water, but I'm on his shoulders. Yeah. But, um, yeah, not, not just hunting wise, but I I owe a lot to that guy for sure. So, but yeah, he, I killed my first deer with him in America's Georgia. I think I was six years old with a single shot, seven millimeter 08. So is that your fondest memory of uh, hunting with him or do you have one of the top? I got so many that's, it's so hard to pick one, especially, I mean, with your dad, it's so hard to pick one memory. Um, I would definitely say that was the first one and one that I'll never, like, it'll never leave. I can tell you the details. I can tell you every single word that was said that day. And that was 18 years ago. So, um, that was a good one too. That's a pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, ended up shooting the deer and it fell down. We were in a ground blind in the middle of a peanut field. I shot the deer, fell straight down. Well, the party immense, you know, all the deer's down, we're good. Well, he flipped the ground blind off us. And we're like, yeah, you know, he's freaking out. Great job, good shot, good shot. And I look up, all I see is a white tail getting it across the <laughs> peanut field. <laughs> I'm like, up. he got up, he got up, he got up. And we thought it was a doe, it ended up being a little button butt, but, but, uh, <laughs> He he kicked the gun open. It was a single shot too. So he kicked the gun open. I have a little sleeve on the side, throws it in, and I actually literally just plugged my ears, and he hung. A, he like placed the the uh, you know underneath the barrel of the gun on my shoulder as a rest. Deer's run away. Yeah. Bow. And the deer fell down. And then we were like, okay, I think we're good now. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was crazy, and it's cool. It's cool now, like, being old enough to, to realize how proud he was at that moment. Like, you know, being a young kid, we practiced and practiced shooting the gun. And in reality, that's the first time he's ever, you know, he wasn't in control of anything at that point. He had yeah. showed me everything I needed to know, but it was up to me to do it. So that's definitely probably one of my favorites. Let's see, I can remember several times as a young kid hunting where my dad's like, stand right there, plug your ears, you know, throw the gun over your shoulder don't move hold still yeah stop talking (laughs) yeah why do you keep moving how do you have so how do you have so many questions i find myself saying that my son is is five years old and just this year i shot a doe with him in the tree stand and i'm sitting there in the ground blind and uh this gun right here six five i said uh hey bud i think i think there's a doe standing down there because all I could see was she was standing in the shadow. And all I could catch was a glint of the wet of her wet nose in the sunlight. He says, "What?" I said, "Shh." Hank, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a doe standing down there, and she stepped out in the light. I said, "Yeah, that, that's a big doe, buddy. I'm I'm gonna shoot her." You're gonna do what? I'm like, "Shh." <laughs> like there's a doe standing down there. Oh, I see it. Are you gonna shoot it? I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm gonna shoot her. And then I shot. 
And he says, that hurt my ears. I said, son, I paid way too much for this not to hurt your ears running that suppressor on that rifle. Exactly. And uh, he says, well, you didn't kill it. I said, what do you mean I didn't kill it? Well, it ran away. I was like, oh, she's, she's dead. She's not far. Grandpa doesn't shoot does. I'm like, right. Grandpa's done oh, shot. Man. I said, Grandpa's already shot two does. You just weren't there. Well, I don't think she's dead. I'm like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and get out of the tree stand and go look for blood. And sure enough, she yeah. went, went, what, maybe 50 yards? Yeah. I tell you what, it, it was wild to see his, like, his emotions. That was the first time he'd actually ever got to come up on a dead deer in the woods like that. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty neat, too. He went from excited to crying. But he was still, ex- he was like, he was crying, but he was still excited. It was. I, I, I had a, I was pretty, I was, I would, if I remember correctly, I, I was pretty, I was pretty worked up. Once we got over there and like, I was like, I'm so excited. I'm still like adrenaline rush. I'm shaking so bad. And I'm like, uh, 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 um, what, now what do we do? <laughs> but I got, I got so excited to get over there. I'm running. I got overalls on that are four sizes too big. You know, it's freezing cold. I run over there and I'm like, all right. Um, I don't know if I like this or not. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're a little kid. You don't know what to think. When my youngest was eight when he shot his first, and it was a spike that came across. We were hunting out of a an old outhouse, actually. And he was sitting on my lap, and he shot the spike. And hit it pretty good. And it tore off, and we followed the – we gave it a minute. You know, of course, ah, you hit it. Oh, I'm so yeah. excited. And, you know, he couldn't wait to go get it and, you know, found some blood and said, all right, so be, we'll move slow, follow the blood trail until we get to the deer. And, you know, it was all real excited for him. He's, wow. But I do remember the moment when we got to the deer and all of a sudden you could see it register with him. And I'm, this is kind of important, right? Like, whoa, like, what did I do? And having to encourage him, like, it's okay, it's all part. And having to reinforce, like, this is where all food comes from and all that. Yep. And we're right back on happy train, right? And then we have a thing, like, in our camp, if you shoot a spike, you got to wear a sombrero. Well, when you're eight years old, there's nothing cooler than wearing a sombrero. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> he's, he's, he's all jacked up, you're wearing a sombrero, right? And we're making a big deal. You know, a little bit of you know blood on the cheeks. Yeah. Like it's all great. And here's where I blew it. Took him to the processor. And that was great. They take him in, and he's all to it. And uh, we took it to process. Processor prints it up, gets the saws all out, and all oh. the guts hit the floor. Boosh! He's out. Instant. Ah! <laughs> I put it back. You know. <laughs> and man, and I and I, and I tell this um, because I, I think that I, to, I, well, I, I don't think I kind of know that uh, it was. I blew it. Like taking them to the pro that for for an eight year old kid, watching them actually disembowel the deer with a sawzall, too much. So for anybody that's listening to this, you know, no, no, it, it sounds so easy now, but you're all excited. You want them to have the whole experience, and just forgot that ages and stages. You know, he still hunts with me, um, but he's not. He's definitely much more empathetic about the process, and I don't think that, uh, and I'm fine with it. I mean, I, I love his companionship, but that moment has probably over-amplified the serious nature of what we do, right? Because we all joke about it and things like that, but I still very much get serious about it when I walk yeah. up on an animal. Oh, absolutely. There's still that, 
Whoa. Respect. And what you, yeah, were, exactly. you were talking about like when you don't hit one well, and that happens to all of us, where the gut wrenching feeling when you're tracking the blood and all the blood starts to peter out. Mm-hmm. When I, with saving grace, thank God, we now I got a whole litany of guys with deer dogs in my phone. Yeah. Right. And uh, I hate when I have to call them, but I'm so glad that I've got them. It's a value, never, a never valuable resource sense. that yeah. not many people take advantage of. Yeah. Not lost one cent. So all, all the deer trackers out there, props to you. And so many of them that do it for free. Like you yeah. beg them to take money at the end. Just buy some, they, t- buy some dog it. food. Yeah. They, lo- they love to watch the dog work. Yep. I, yeah. I, th- I uh, just piggybacking off that. I think that's one of the coolest things on the planet. Oh yeah. It's to watch a dog dive off the boat and go get a duck and come back and get in the boat and listen and, and be, I mean, obviously it's what that dog lives for. Literally people think, especially, and, and I'm, I don't, I don't run dogs. I don't dog hunt anymore. I used to when I was younger with my dad, because my dad did it. But people think like, Oh man, those dogs are, they're just running all day long. They're abused. I'm like those dogs wake up. It would be the same thing as us waking up to go to work. Yep. I, that's I've what they loved. That, I mean, not necessarily those dogs love are, to go yeah. to work, but it, it ain't <laughs> those dogs work. are dying to get out of that cage. Oh, they and can't, chase a deer they can't wait. I've said yeah. this half a dozen times in the podcast that men have been hunting with dogs in North America for 16,000 years. And anthropologically, they know they've been hunting them within the world for at least 20,000 years, 20,000 wow. years. And only in the last couple do you have organizations coming out and saying, you know, that's barbaric. Like, you know, the reality was chances are that if you didn't have an ancestor that had a pretty good relationship with a dog, you, you wouldn't be here because they wouldn't have survived. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So what's the, what's the funniest thing you've caught on camera so far? I mean, I know we see, I, oh, I think man. back and I see lots of funny stuff happen in the woods. Oh, but shit, it, I wish I would have got that on camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Literally, right? Yeah. Um, there's so many again. <laughs> um, I got. I literally have an SD card that I I keep at home that I will literally transfer those over just to that SD card just to have like bloopers. Like, cause I think it's so funny. Like, uh, one time <laughs> with my dad, it's like trying to edit a video that my dad's in. It's like bleep 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 bleep. Like he's sending Morse code. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh. We were, I was with my brother, and we were hunting. Uh, he was hunting. I was filming for him because I had already shot a buck that year. And uh, we were sitting there, and he's like a super soft-spoken kid. Shout out to Cody. But um, he's like a super soft-spoken kid. He's just a gentle giant. He's, I mean, you can't tell by looking at me, but he's like 6'2", like, you know, 265, big old kid. And uh, he's just a teddy bear. But he's yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, like super, super proper around you know adults he's probably 15 and we're sitting in the box then man and he's like i'm be honest with you this is boring as bleep and i had it on film like i he had never cussed in front of me before and i was just like what the did you just say <laughs> and he and it was so funny because he got so red and he realized that he just said it because obviously i mean you know even back in the day, you cuss around your boys and stuff, but you don't want your dad or your mom to hear you say it. Yeah. But man, he said that. I he turned so red and started laughing. At first, he was like, "Oh no, like I'm gonna be in trouble." And I was like, "Dude, you're 15, 16 years old. I was saying that in fifth grade." You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, your yeah, mom I mean, just was like, "What?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually uh, I got him pretty good because he was like, "Man, don't don't show Nanny Kim." 
from my grandma. Don't don't show Nanny Kim, man. She'll be so mad. I'm like, all right, I won't show her. Obviously, a little brotherly love. We got to the house. I plugged my camera in immediately. And I'm like, Nanny, watch this video I got today. We, me and Cody were hunting in Georgia this weekend. <laughs> oh, I plugged it in, and she goes, Cody. <laughs> but, yeah, man, that there's so many of them. Anytime I get my dad and uh, and just our little group at the hunting camp together, man, there's, there's just so much. I, a lot of it, obviously, you can't film all of it. But, um, man, some of it's just, especially, like, just being on the porch, like like I was talking about earlier, the camaraderie, being around everybody, like, you know, you pay for a hunting lease. I don't really, I, can, I mean, do I want to shoot a deer? Absolutely. Is it the end of the world if I don't? No. Paying for the experience, you know, I, I, I get more out of watching my little sister shoot a deer or my girlfriend shot her first deer this year, like, that for me, that was that feeling that my dad had when I was a kid. Yeah. So I had no control. She'd never shot a gun in her life before she got with me a couple of years ago. So like the thought that she, she felt like she could put that effort in was cool as can be to me. So, but yeah, that's, she's got, she's, she's pretty, she's pretty ate up with it now too. Like, well, and she shot like a nice little basket rack eight point for her first buck. And I'm like, I had to shoot 10 before I got to shoot one like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, um, well, now I don't want to shoot anything unless you would shoot it. I'm like, you're going to have to be hunting by yourself. I was like, you got to, <laughs> yeah, you got to fight me for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be hunting by yourself. But yeah. You know, I've told Will, like, I was like, I, I genuinely wish we could just have like a fleet of cameras to catch every moment because there's just some stuff that happened like just oddball in the moment you're like oh my gosh like if other people could have seen that or heard that happen exactly <laughs> america's funniest home video yeah that's one of the <laughs> i love deer hunting for the solitude a lot of times you're alone um but then i hate deer hunting sometimes for the solitude yeah. oh, because absolutely. you're alone. But what's great about things like, that's part of the reason why I enjoy small game hunting so much and enjoy quail hunting so much and enjoy, you know, love to be in a duck or goose blind. I mean, my favorite place to hunt of all, like I love being in an A-frame blind where you're totally bushed in, waiting for things like geese or cranes to come in because guys just start yucking it up and all the funny stuff yeah. like guys that start laughing are they fall off a bucket and some of the stories are you know well, <laughs> i'm not gonna tell the podcast well maybe i will anyway but when you were who's that guy's name trevor that guy and you were flipping through oh yeah me and him we're yeah we're i'm i'm up there and we're in texas and i'm like man you know i might as well make a tender while i'm here right i don't have fun with this <laughs> So we're, well, I'm like swiping through it and the guy, I'm sitting right next to a guide and the guide's like, oh bro, I just hooked up with her last night. No man, what he said, Jordan's looking at the girl's attractive, right? And and I forget which one is get rid of her, what left or right. Was, yeah. thing. But he's like, I dumped a fat load on oh, her yeah. last night. <laughs> Jordan's just like, next. Yeah. <laughs> left. Yuck. Man. Yeah, that that's. It's the conversation and the stories that you've heard, especially my dad. He likes to stretch the truth a little. I think yeah. we all do here and there. Oh, yeah. But, man, I'm like, he's so full of shit. Literally. Like, you're so full of it, man. 
because I've heard the story a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. You know, it changes. changes every single time. I'm like, I love it, on, like, man. When you're there for like when you're there for something that happens and somebody tells it, and you're like, wait a minute. I'm like, that's not how that happened. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that did not happen like that. But I'm not gonna embarrass you in front of these people. That and it helps make a good story. Yeah. Everybody loves a good story, man. That's what that's <laughs> so, that's. That's one of the funniest things about, you know, because a lot of times during duck season, we go live from the duck blind and I'll set, we'll set a phone up at one end or the other of the boat in the duck blind and you'll hear some of the funniest oh, stuff. Man. Just come up with just stupid conversation that comes across. Me and like, you, it was just me and you that one afternoon. That's how it got framed the plan B hole. Yeah. All right. Because <laughs> that's, as soon as I said it on it's the live like, video, yeah. I looked at him, I said, that really didn't sound like the way I wanted it to sound yeah. when I said that. Because <laughs> we're like, we have this one spot for duck hunting. It's private land. It's just a little marsh, and it's like right down the road here. So if we don't have anything else, we're like, oh, screw it. Let's go there. Let's go hunt there. See what we can do. Right? So It's he always just, plan yeah. B. It's always yeah. plan B. So he was like, well, let's just call it the plan B hole. And I was like, uh, I think we should think of a different yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> And then in that same video, not 20 minutes later, we're both over there singing some song he had stuck in his head because the birds just weren't flying. It wasn't that right time yeah. of the afternoon yet. Man, some of the stuff that happens on those live videos, you rarely see us kill ducks. Yeah. It's funny, but though, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny though, how, like, like you said, you could be having a horrible hunt, but in reality, we're having a blast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're it's having like, those, I, those are memories that, like, in reality, oh, yeah, I love to tell people, oh, yeah, I shot this buck. But that's the end of the story. You know what I mean? Like I shot the deer, deer went down, like that was it. You know. Well, even worse is a lot of new hunters do that, right? Oh, like they want to tell you and show you the pictures of the buck they've just killed. But to anybody that's been around for a while, it's like you've heard three, four thousand of those. Yeah, yeah. And you, I always try to be polite. Oh yeah, it's all great. You know, especially if it's a new fellow, because you don't want to discourage them. Like, oh, ah, yeah, I've seen that a hundred sure. times. But <clears throat> when you really think about it, th those stories get real old real fast, but the ones that never get old are the ones that went wrong. Those stick. You know, how you fell yeah. out of a stand yep. or how you, yeah. you, know, you you couldn't wait to go to the bathroom and like it was as you were. Getting down. Yeah, when that, you, that's when, you, when the buck stepped out. Like <laughs> When you got to leave the woods without yeah. a sock. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Those are the stories. That <laughs> you know, I, and that kind of brings me back to like the whole B-roll thing is because it's like you, you just catch, you just get tangled up in crap that's not even important. Like, We've had a live video where, and then like some of our live videos, we were hanging out with Sid one night up there in Astor and Sid's like, I honestly watched like your whole entire hunt. You didn't kill a single thing and like got down to the hunt and he's like, I've been sitting here on my phone watching them for an hour. They didn't even kill anything. He's like, he's like, I don't even know why I'm watching them. He's like, I'm just, I, I'm I just stuck. I catch myself doing that on like YouTube. I watch a video and I'm like, all right, you know, like these guys are pretty funny, you know what I mean? Like so, and that that kind of comes back to the catch, clean, and cook thing. So if you're not the most successful hunter or you know fisherman or whatever, you're also capturing that second part of the video where you're you're uh, you know catching the eye of a whole different audience that likes yeah. to cook, yeah, or or you know people that are trying to get into hunting or trying to get into fishing. And they watch the beginning part and they're like, wow, this guy can really cook. Or like, this guy can't cook worth crap. You know what <laughs> I mean? I mean. Well, from what I understand, that's, how, that's where Duck Dynasty came from. I try to make the short story as I heard it was that Benelli wanted to get into, into waterfowling. And they actually went to Michael Waddell first because you remember a couple of years ago, Michael Waddell was on everything, right? Yeah. And 
he told the guys from Vanelli, like, that's not really my thing, but why don't you, apparently it was the shot show, why don't you go down to the end row here and talk to those guys from Duck Commander. How and crazy. as I, this story, he's like, he goes, they're a little different, but go down there. And so they went down and, of course, met those crew, and that's all they were about as Ducks. So they had, and that's when I first saw that show was when it was Duck Commander by Benelli on Sportsman's Channel. I think it was mm-hmm. 10.30 every Saturday. I was watching that thing pretty, and I, as I'm watching these guys, I couldn't tell them all apart, but they had all the beards, and I thought that was pretty cool. But that was still very much about a duck killing show. Yeah. But to fast forward in the real story here is, as I understand it, it was the people that were filming Duck Commander by Benelli that saw everything that you didn't see in their dynamic and the yucking it up that they yeah. did in the duck blind and then the stuff when they would go out to eat and all this. And, and again, how the prayer and things like that was genuinely part of their lives. Yeah. And those guys then were the ones that somehow went to A&E and was like, you, you got to see these fellas. That's awesome. Right. And it was, so you think about it, it was all that stuff we just talked about that we enjoy so much that has nothing to do with hunting is people that don't hunt. Think of hunting is really the reason that we, hunt yeah it's amazing you know, it's crazy it's not the killing no it's amazing how many people watch a bunch of rednecks cut up on tv they love yeah. it people oh, love yeah. it yeah. they're like man look at these honkies you know what <laughs> <I mean? laughs> and, and in reality that's just us being us like and i i've tossed the idea around to my dad and honestly we drink too much for it probably but <laughs> but <laughs> uh but i'm like man how cool would it be to have like post hunt videos so I have a clip, you know, how the hunt went. Now, if you don't see no deer, there's no, the video starts at the camp when we're cooking yeah. and we're hanging out on the porch, drinking beer and probably frying fish or frying something. I mean, we don't eat a whole I mean, or steaks. That's about it. You know yeah. what I mean? yeah, yeah. But I, I toss it around. I'm like, Dad, that's the kind of stuff that people want to watch. And he, he, he chases me around with the camera. Like, he doesn't – he gives me the end around with the camera – like my dad is like obviously you guys can tell by listening to this podcast I can barely stop talking, but my dad is the same exact way. The second you whip the camera out, oh man, he's he's, I, uh, uh, um, yeah. Well, we're gonna do this today. You know, what <laughs> I mean? all of a sudden he yeah. goes soft spoken and, and I think that's another thing though that I got used to because. It's just like you guys when you guys first started this. I'm sure it was it was uncomfortable at first. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, you're like, oh man, I got I got all this new stuff. I got to make sure I have everything together. But you still want to be yourself. Yeah. And I think that takes a little bit of time to get to that point. But that's it. He's still getting used to it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you it think is. the cure for that is? Do you think it's just you got to be on camera long enough to forget it's there? Man, honestly, I think it's just like anything else. You put the time in, and it just comes it becomes second nature like when you go to work in the morning you don't have to think about every single little thing you do every day you know what i mean a lot of it's just muscle memory you're doing it over again or whatever stuff like that like just for example um i don't know if i even said this or not but i work for charles schwab and company um on a, it's like a bank and brokerage firm i am i struggle on the phone man struggle i don't know what it is talking to clients makes me nervous because i got to be professional i guess Makes me nervous. I get, I get all, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I can help you with that. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. I think, and I've only been there for two years, so like I'm getting better, but I think it's the same thing. It's, it's kind of, you're in that uncharted, you know, place you've never been, but the more time you spend there, it becomes familiar. Yeah. So. 
Well, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up, man. Let's let's yeah. get around to the under pressure outdoors tip of the week. Hunter, what do you got for us? You got one? Tip of the week. Just need to be like tech tip or what? No, anything? just anything related to the outdoors and something we talked about. And you get a self-filming tip, something to go along. I've given lines. tips about how to order the large ice cream cone at McDonald's. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> man, my tip, I would say, especially for anybody that's listening that just, you know, I know we all get caught up in life and work and, and we forget, oh, man, you know, you can't kill them from the couch. But at the end of the day, every time you get to get out there, just try to enjoy it, live in the moment, and make as many memories as you can because we only get to make so many. Absolutely. I'm going to kind of kick it back to, uh, I know we had said we could kind of discuss this on the podcast, so I'm going to kick it back to last weekend with me and Will. Don't When something happens, like something out of the ordinary happens, don't be afraid to call your local game warden and be like, hey, can I do this? Because me and Will were out dirt road riding on the Ranger and had a deer run out in front of us, somehow miscalculated fence jump, hit the fence, and broke its neck. And I'm like, oh, that deer's dead. Will's like, well, maybe it just knocked itself out. Let's ride away and come back, right? So we rode away, and we come back, and it's still laying there. I'm like, oh, man, like I feel terrible. I don't want to just leave it. He's like, well, don't you have... You got that buddy that's that's the the DNR officer here and right around here, isn't he? I was like, that's right, I do. So I called him. I was like, hey, listen, brother, uh, we have this deer and it's we we watched it jump and break its neck on a fence. I was like, are we allowed to dispatch it? And he's like, oh yeah, man, dispatch it, take it back, do whatever you want with it after you dispatch it. It's roadkill. I was like, really? <laughs> All right. Hmm. Dispatched the dough right there, took it back to camp, cleaned it up. Crazy. Now she's over here in the freezer in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, freezer queen? Yeah. Yep. So uh, <clears throat> right now we're doing the BHA hike to hunt <laughs> challenge. And team under pressure outdoors is in second place by 25 miles <laughs> oh. for today we yeah. we were in first place on friday but some corn-fed flatlanders from nebraska took umbrage with our with our, our top of them on at the end of the first week and went out and knocked out a bunch but in that i've learned the importance of proper shoe management and shade management so my tip is if you're going to go out and you're going to get in shape Make sure that you got good shoes because I'm nursing a blister that I'm not exaggerating is the size of a silver dollar in the center of my right oh, foot. Man. And it, it's nasty, man. But still covering miles on it with uh, proper, well, maybe not proper first aid, but I figured it out. And the other part is you should be surprised that if you're starting to, you know, get out there in Florida and it's 93 degrees and muggy, just how far, how much farther you can go if you're just paying attention as to where the sun's coming from and where the shade is. It is, it's amazing that just a couple of hundred yards of shade will really improve your, the, the, the amount of distance that you can cover before you start thinking this sucks. So it's uh, <laughs> foot management, proper shoe, proper footwear and shade. So I'm going to say, you know, if you want to start out self filming, you want to start out doing a podcast, you just want to get it started hunting and fishing, getting outdoors in general, just like everybody's sitting around this table. 
you don't have to start out with the best equipment. Not at all. You started out with a $150 handy cam from Walmart. We started recording these podcasts on a cell phone. If you can, if you can afford to buy, you, you want a deer hunt and you can afford to buy that 19, <clears throat> 1989 Matthew solo cam. Guess what? That sucker still kills deer. Yeah. It does work. So, <laughs> but you got to practice. You got to put the time in, uh, the sweat equity where you can't put the, the money in a lot of times. So it may be a little bit heavier of a climber. But that's where the sweat equity comes in because it was cheaper. So don't be afraid. Don't let money be the barrier that keeps you from getting in the outdoors. Get what you can afford and get after it. So like Jim just said this week, we just a second ago, we've been working on the hike to hunt thing. You guys can still go on to the page or the group page. I'll even put a link to it in the bottom of this podcast description where you can donate money to us. Try to help us break two grand. We're almost close. I think we got... 17 and change. 1700 and change. So if we, I'd love to get over two grand. We're just that close, that close to two yeah. grand to, to public lands and waterways. So hop down there on that link and donate us some money and we'll keep on walking $5 a mile. We got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, we might want to put a cap on just how far we're going to walk. Cause we cut clicks one. <laughs> man, right now we got to walk eight miles a day as a crew to hit our, current fundraising amount we're either going to have to add more crew to, to so we can cover those miles or well we'll we figure it out more. we're, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can yeah. even if we don't walk for your mile paid it still goes to a good cause we're going we're to try we're going to do our best to walk every oh, single we're going to walk every mile yeah we'll make it happen we'll we'll do some kind of hike somewhere or something to finish it off we got to yeah <laughs> Was I, I, I got 60 miles in, man. I, <laughs> I did nine today. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm hitting my limits. <laughs> You're looking good, Jim. All that walking is doing good for you. Yeah, I'm still fat ass, but <laughs> that's part of the problem. Until next week, make sure you guys are hopping down there and writing us a review. We haven't had any new reviews recently, so. I'm kind of sad about that. Yeah, I haven't had any to read, so hop down there and write us a five-star review. And if you give us your mailing address after writing us a review, I'll mail you some Under Pressure Outdoor stickers. Uh, make sure you're joining the podcast community. There's a link to that down there in the notes as well. Under Pressure Outdoors, the group on Facebook. Where you can keep up with all the sweet stuff we're doing. We have events and stuff like that yeah. going on. So Don't be afraid to post to it either if you're on there. Yeah, anybody can post to it. So if you guys want to just share your success stories, your failure stories, your funny pictures. See your whatever. Hunter Rotarius clip. Yeah, because yeah. those are all over there. And speaking of yeah. that, how can they find Florida Boy outfitters um, i got a instagram and facebook and it's just at florida boy outfitters um there's uh there's actually two out there so look for the one with the american flag florida I had a had a guy a couple of years ago try to slide in on me on my trademark so it's just a um it's like a black red white and blue uh logo so instagram facebook and i probably post i try to do at least two posts a week um also have my YouTube channel at Florida Boy Outfitters. I got a handful of videos on there too. So, and those are the ones you keep posting to our group page, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are just like my daily posts with you know kind of what I've been up to and that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, man. I think we had a great episode. It's going to be a good one. Oh yeah, thank you guys for having sure me. Is. All right.